0: Welcome to Media Roots Radio, this is Abby Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. Sorry for the last podcast, I felt like I was like yelling into the microphone. It was like a little bit hard for me to hear. I had to turn on the volume because my voice was very <laughs> acute. So I apologize for people, I'll try to hold the mic a little bit farther away from You're my freaking,
1: mouth. fucking <laughs> uh, time to be angry though, it's understandable.
0: Yeah, and so, you know, we did this giant podcast for people who haven't checked it out. You definitely should, because we did it right after the Muslim ban and um just kind of a raw emotional response to that but a lot has happened since then um as we know trump is signing these executive orders um every day multiple he just signed today that gave police um sweeping authority he like did an appeal to quote unquote criminals right after the appointment and confirmation of jeff sessions a notorious racist who was deemed too racist to be a federal judge 30 years ago (laughs) is somehow just okay (laughs) in this climate now but he like you know he's standing next to sessions and he's just like your time is over criminals there's a new day um, and we're coming after you it's like what in the hell is this we already know that police act with total impunity Um, we know that there was like an unprecedented amount of support that police gave to trump there's already been stories of like police wearing MAGA hats on the job it's a very scary climate when that was a cornerstone of his campaign to quote, reinstate law and order. Like, to me, that just means mass criminalization of minorities. (laughs) Honest.
1: Yeah, or just, like, easy, like, um, things that the police have... Like, there's a lot of laws in this country where the police have their own way of dealing with it. It's not not necessarily that they're decriminalized, but the police often will prioritize what kinds of crimes they go after um, and things, and... And I'm, and I'm worried that um, this will give them a pretty much a free pass open season to, uh, to do like these sweeps and raids of low level drug dealers, um, sex workers. How do we even know what Trump's stance on medical marijuana is? He says he's into states rights, but like, I mean, that's that's technically against the law. Still, the federal government still has marijuana as schedule one. So if he's so into enforcing the law, why aren't people worried that he's going to try to usurp that? I mean, even Obama sending the feds to raid places. Well, they should
0: be because Jeff Sessions, that was one of his most bizarre um, beliefs was that he really (laughs) hates marijuana. And he thought that that was like his biggest contested issue with Obama was that he was too lax on weed. Um, And there was that famous quote from Jeff Sessions saying that he... Like the KKK until he found out that like they smoked pot or something it was a really weird quote but it's just like yeah I mean I mean yeah so we shouldn't expect good things from him on on marijuana at all um it's very
1: disturbing and the and do you remember when it was like everybody thought Chris Christie was going to be his VP and he was kind of like palling around with Chris Christie after Christie dropped out Um, most people don't remember this, but Chris Christie had, was staunchly anti-medical marijuana and made it part of his campaign. He was literally one of the only Republicans in the primary who actually spoke out against medical marijuana and was like very adamant.
0: That's Um,
1: and then people found out later that he was actually getting a bunch of money from the booze industry. Mm. Um, which is usually how that works. If you're really anti, what, what what's the competition against marijuana in this country? Pharmaceutical
0: alcohol. companies, alcohol, and cop, like, um, lobbying groups. Seriously.
1: Pretty much. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, there's really no one else who gives a shit. Right. That's, so it's, so it is like a very specific group of interests. And cops probably generally don't really care anyways. I think most of the time, like, in, in, I mean, not, I mean, I'm, you know, we're, I mean, a bubble in California when it comes to marijuana stuff, but I mean, cops generally now, even if you don't have a medical marijuana card, it's kind of decriminalized. Like they'll give you a slap on the wrist or just tell you to throw it away and then let you like drive off or something. Um, it's not like that though, in other States, like it's real, the penalties are really severe. I mean, There's still like this classic 80s drug war mentality being waged in a lot of these other states that have no marijuana, um, medical marijuana laws or, or legalization. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, we take all this stuff for granted, like, oh, our country's becoming so much more progressive. But what does enforcing the laws and bringing back this era of law and order really mean? I mean...
0: Yeah, and he Um, also heightened the penalties for federal crimes. I mean, to me, as someone who's extensively studied the prison industrial complex, that is a very bad idea. More criminalization and more mass incarceration actually does the opposite of uh, any helpful things in society whatsoever. We need to be talking about rehabilitation, lessening the penalties for nonviolent drug offenders. It's just, it's completely fucked up. Um, And this just happened today. This is just the newest on a line of crazy things just yesterday, Sean Spicer is so crazy. Um, he was out he's out there, he he looks like he's becoming increasingly unhinged and unraveled just like Donald Trump. Because I think that Donald Trump's really blaming these people. He's probably saw the SNL parody of Sean Spicer and he was probably like really mad at him, you know. And we know that Trump is really such abusive. a narcissist, he's extremely abusive. He is such a fucking egomaniac and extreme narcissist that all he does is watch coverage of himself. There was a daily intelligence briefing that happened at like 1030 a.m. yesterday and 10 to 15 minutes later, he's tweeting about Nordstrom. So I don't know if that was during the intelligence briefing. It just seems like he is obsessed with what is the New York Times and CNN saying about him as the sitting president of the United States. It is very, very scary.
1: But Abby, didn't you hear that he doesn't own a bathrobe? So all the leaks coming out from inside his administration are fake news?
0: it's all fake news anything and he even said on twitter he was like any polls that i any polls that are saying this is fake news like we said it's a yeah. weaponized totally nonsensical term that that is we've handed to him
1: which is just so weird because whoever launched it seemed to want to use it to take down trump yeah and now, and now he's using it more than anybody else or just like his his followers and his movement are. I mean, it's become basically a babyish, nonsensical way to deflect anything you don't like that anybody's saying about Trump. Yeah. Fake news, fake news. I remember when the, the, the mosque shooting happened, all these Republican pieces of shit were spreading around this talking point that a Muslim had shot the, up mm-hmm. the mosque. And then any, any like attempt to actually show the real news that it was like a white guy for like days these people were saying fake news fake news and then of course some of them were saying it's a false flag now exactly. that it's yep. a white they guy. were saying well hold it's on like, are you sure crazy are you morons. sure that it's
0: a white guy because that could be a false flag attempt to try to paint trump supporters that's where we're at yeah.
1: now it, it's just it blows my mind that and it, and it is. The, the fake news thing does play directly into these sort of conspiracy movement cynicism over the MSN. And it, and it continues. And um, I
0: wanted to say really quickly, one really scary thing that Sean Spicer said yesterday. Well, first of all, yesterday, as Trump does these staged press conferences, because that's all he knows how to do. And he knows that, you know, a lot of his base won't really investigate and read the news thoroughly and really understand what the hell he's doing. But for example, he brings out the CEO of some Intel group and he's like, in the fucking Oval Office, he's with the CEO of some company who already two years ago, they had decided to to build a factory or something in, in a state. That would bring like 10,000 jobs or whatever. Meanwhile, he's exporting all these jobs because if anyone knows anything about capitalism, that makes no sense. You're not going to bring jobs back when you can pay people slave wages in China and Singapore and Bangladesh. So anyway, he has the CEO of this company and they're holding up like his products. And Trump is basically just once again, just like he did with the carrier thing, he was like, this is great. We're making all these deals Giving this guy tax breaks. It's like, well, what is this? What the hell is going on? And, and one reporter was like, well, if this was decided two years ago, like, why are you guys doing this here? <laughs> and then um, and then Sean Spicer in the press conference afterward, he was saying someone asked about the raid again, which killed countless civilians, an eight year old uh, child. Um, a complete shit show. They even tried to like throw in this like seven year old propaganda video from Al-Qaeda and be like, look, like, here's all the intel we got. Like, see, it was worth all these all these civilians who died because like, look, we got this video and the video is fucking old as shit. And so now they're all backpedaling. So now their their point for anyone who questions the raid is do not question the raid if you if you question the raid and say it was not a success you are dis, you are doing a grave disservice to the slain navy seals life and you owe him a, an apology <laughs> that's literally where they're <laughs> at now he like shut them down really hard and he was like you owe him an apology like how we're dare pathetic. you how dare you say this raid was unsuccessful and it was like okay so that's where we're at now
1: it's it just shows it telegraphs so much weakness i don't understand if That's the problem, like, that's the problem with Trump and all his supporters thinking he's like this strong man who doesn't take shit from anybody. Like this, all this stuff that's happening, even if you don't even pay attention to these leaks, like if you choose to not believe any of these leaks that are coming out, just look at the behavior of Spicer and Trump and tell me that that ultimately doesn't telegraph some kind of weakness and insecurity. Right. It's, it's pretty obvious from just like a psychological point of view. So that's, to me, that's just strange that Trump can't just try to keep his cool and just act like he's not bothered by it. Because ultimately, that makes that'll make him appear stronger. I mean, you can't help you know, it though when calling you're mentally Obama, ill. I mean, he, when you have yeah, extreme
0: I, narcissistic personality disorder, you can't help it.
1: That's what's so weird about it to me is like everybody was calling Obama weak, you know, constantly. All these Republicans and Trump supporters, but like Obama's looking pretty goddamn s- like strong-willed and like a pretty calm guy in comparison to like Trump's just bizarre insecurities. Mm-hmm. Like just like I mean, it, it's it's shocking. Well, even me. Bush um,
0: um, never you know took to the press and said like I'm pissed. I'm hurt. You guys are liars. It's like, no, you just don't do that when you're president of the United States.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he was really hurt by a lot of it, but he didn't, he didn't let it show very much. And or you know, if he did a few times, it was more just kind of like a joke. Like you guys all, you know, you guys really don't like me or something like he was saying that at like press conferences, kind of like, you know, I know what's really going on here, but like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to let it like completely define my way of acting towards you. (laughs) Totally. Um, I mean, even though he was very hostile to the press and like a total asshole, he wasn't. It's just, it just seems like unprofessional, even like, it's not just that it's not presidential, which is kind of a dumb term anyways, but it's almost like unprofessional just from like a business perspective. Like if he is running this office like a business, it just seems really unprofessional to act that way. Yeah. And and I think Um, that
0: he's really, we're going to see him just increasingly unhinged, like I said, unraveling at the core more and more as time goes on because already it's been what three weeks this is going to really kill him and i think it really is because he's just used to being groveled to he's this famous billionaire celebrity who's like known around the world as this quirky guy as the celebrity apprentice guy and now he's a widely loathed like demagogue neo-fascist who's implementing like crazy police state measures like left and right so i'm sorry but you're not going to be loved you're going to be widely hated And millions of people are going to be protesting everything that you do. I'm sorry. You're going to have to get used to it, dude.
1: And I loved what what Howard Stern had to say about his relationship to Hollywood. He's like, Donald Trump loves Hollywood. He's always wanted to be part of Hollywood for as long as I've known him. And he's like, this is the biggest crushing blow to him is that now Hollywood hates him.
0: (laughs) Right. That's all he cares about. Seriously, that says it all
1: no i know and like just that alone probably was like a huge blow to trump because he really is just a fame whore you know like other billionaires don't try to get into the spotlight all the time like he does he wants to be like a celebrity he's obsessed with being famous and being seen you know he's a narcissist i mean it's so um and it, yeah, it's just, it's just, to me, that's, it, it was just really funny hearing that from Howard Stern because it's very believable. Right. And, uh, and yeah, of course, all these people were saying Howard Stern was lying or I don't even, did Sean Spicer even say something about that? I feel like he did. Yeah, I he, remember. it was
0: very, once again, this whole alternative facts uh, deflection on everything. He did say something very Orwellian. I forget what it was. It was just basically denying, denying deflect is their whole campaign. It's really the Bush administration on steroids. And I'm not giving Obama a pass, obviously. But, like, it, it is just so surreal the way that these people address the press and, and describe their policies. It's very interesting, like like the whole it's not a ban thing. Well, Sean Spicer just yesterday called it a ban in the press conference. It's like, damn, you guys got to keep up with yourselves. But what's even sadder is that the loyalist army that, you know, um, defines Trump's base just does their bidding for them it's like they can say whatever they want and this loyalist army will still be acting on behalf of trump and apologizing for him so they almost don't even care you know because they already know they're not trying to get new york times's people on board like it's totally just off their radar
1: yeah and also like they'll They'll pull, you know, they'll do like Rorschach politics still on him. Like the people who are, are like critics of Israel and who are anti-war, who are supporters of him will just only pull the colonels, you know, that, that validate that point of view and then won't listen to anything else. Like I was arguing with these people who said that he did speak out really strongly against the settlements. He's not pro-Israel, you know, like you should check your facts. So I looked exactly what was said. Trump himself didn't say anything. Spicer said something like very, very, like borderline. All he did, all he did was say that they're they minorly don't, they critical. They don't
0: contribute to the peace process or something like
1: very, that, minor. and that's not speaking out against right. the settlements at all. Right? Are you kidding me? And that's and that's what they they're propping up. Like it just it really does show uh, not just a lack of critical thinking, but like just blind loyalty mm-hmm. to him. And but I think fortunately, what's happening the one positive thing I've seen of this is that a lot of those people are not bothering to mount defenses of things like him trying to start a war with Iran or, you know, BB's uh, like overwhelming love for Trump or the fact that Israel, you know, Israeli society loves Trump. Um, They're ignoring those kind of things because I don't think they can defend them. And I think we're going to start, there's going to be a pile of things piling up that certain more of the savvy Trump supporters will, will not be able to defend, I'm not saying they'll stop carrying water for him, but at the very least those won't be things that they're going to be like out there defending. Um, cause I think he's going to even upset a lot of his own base because think about what he did to get elected. He, he hit on all these different little pockets that like cross through the entire split political spectrum. Um, and I, and I, I don't, there's no way he's going to keep all those people satisfied. Um, it's just impossible to do.
0: Yeah, I think it was a good
1: <clears throat> election strategy, but an actual governing strategy to maintain a base of those same people is pretty much impossible.
0: Well, yeah, of course. And Bannon was just in his ear the whole time, saying exactly what he should put out there to get the base that he wanted. And Trump has no ideology, as we know. He's just a completely malleable um, narcissist. And I wanted to let's let's talk about these strategies that are that are happening right now because. There's a lot of words being thrown around, a lot of terminology. <clears throat> and I know that during the whole campaign cycle and through the Obama administration, through the Bush administration, we didn't throw around the word fascism lightly. We and we didn't throw on the word Nazism lightly. And, and, you know, and I became more socialist over time. Um, we were much more in line with like the Ron Paul libertarians. And now so we've kind of evolved over the last 10 years politically but i feel like that bridge that existed during that time 2008 when ron paul was was running and Dennis kucinich and him united on a lot of things and they still unite on some things to you know write a letter to try to defund the rebels in syria and stuff like that and that we did bridge a lot of the gaps between us and let's say infowars people um the libertarian crowd the ron paul crowd now i feel like <clears throat> it has splintered so much and has gone so off the rails that now And over this whole course of time, I have still tried to maintain some sort of unity with these people and explain like, yes, I am a leftist. Yes, I am more socially socialist minded, but I still understand where you're coming from. I still believe in civil liberties. These things are really important to me. But it seems like the opposite has happened where these people have now turned against me and made me and my ideology actually the enemy and so it's no longer yep. about how can we bridge this gap. It's now like there's a united front of Trump people, Infowars people, libertarian people like against leftists and against what they call social justice warriors and liberals and all this stuff. And, I, and it is very damaging and disheartening because I just feel like now I can't reach out to these people anymore. There's no common ground to build. Um, because now they they're antagonizing me so much that I'm no longer gonna waste my time trying to build a bridge with them. Do you know what I'm saying?
1: Of course, yeah i mean i i I mean and I obviously receive a lot less of that than you do um you have a way more followers of me on twitter um, and I see some of the stuff coming at you sometimes, and it i mean it's it's really disheartening to see more skeptical minded people and I'm not saying Infowars listeners are the like most critical thinking people ever but like it does it's really disheartening to see them falling in line with this obviously coordinated campaign to demonize and and scapegoat the left as the enemy Mm -hmm. and and any gradation of the left whether you're you know like over 50, you know, Democrat voting Democrat, or, um, you know, you're, uh, you're someone who goes out to occupy with your family and makes their own sign and, you know, pushes your kid around in a stroller. Like it seems like the right wing, especially people like Breitbart and the more fringy drudge, you know, style right wing, you know, media, um, is trying to scapegoat everyone on the left and lump them all into this category that, uh, that there's no nuance. There's no difference between any leftists. They're all these Marxist extremist radical leftists. And I, and I, I mean, it seems like a lot of that started under Obama. The right wing was trying to portray him as a radical leftist. And right. since it just wasn't true at all, I mean, it was completely false, but somehow that narrative stuck to the point where any of like Obama's supporters are now radical leftists by default. And it's like, It's just real. it's a cartoonish distortion of reality that, that somehow the people you're talking about bought into. And the only thing I will say is that libertarians, I'm already noticing a lot of them are, are very concerned like this quickly into the administration. But before a lot of them were, um, were more going along with this sort of demonization of the left. Like they were, you know, really worried, you know, like upset about social justice lawyers and leftists and all this stuff. And then now I think that this, this Trump's like war drum beating is really scaring them, too. And I'm not talking about like ultra right wing, like socially right wing people who are libertarian. I just mean like more classic libertarians. And I think that's a positive silver lining in this is that. You know, as much as we've drifted away from that philosophy, I still think there are, you know, there are people in it who are smart enough to see what's going on now. Yeah, that Trump is as a liar. He's deceived and manipulated the anti-war sort of sentiment in this country for his advantage, and it's false. Yeah, um, and I and I so, and
0: I wanted to say that the left has been. Targeted by the U.S. Empire, anti-communism, um, a war on socialism. This has been the defining, like, religion of the U.S. This is what we associate with um, productivity. We associate it with success. Um, this is the American dream. It, it's the notion of American exceptionalism. We're better than everyone else. This is the ideology that reigns supreme. So don't tell me that leftists are the fucking enemy. We are the ones who are, have been attacked forever. Forever. Um, If you want to say Obama, all this like cultural Marxism talk is so, it's such hogwash. It doesn't make any sense. And I think people are just extremely confused about what these terms mean and how they apply today. Um, I encourage everyone to check out a documentary that we did on the Empire Files called The War. Um, I'll, I'll post it on the SoundCloud, but it's basically just documenting the war on socialism and socialist thought and how, you know, after FDR's New Deal, there was almost a workers revolt and a complete revolution and an overthrow of the capitalist system. And that, that's why the New Deal happened is to give, you know, dole out these social services, try to placate the working class. And over the course of the last, you know, 60 years, all of these social socialist institutions have been stripped by neoliberalism. Um, and now you see, and liberalism does not mean liberal, it means a neoliberal order, which is this capitalist, you know, global order. Um, And it's the austerity measures, it's stripping of unions, it's crushing unions, it's basically taking away the agency of the working class. Um, Yeah. And that's, and so it's just really, it's really sad that people think like that's liberal. You know what I mean?
1: Of course. And parts of neoliberalism have unfortunately taken parts from sort of identity politics world to use to uh, protect power. And to, and to like, for, I mean, one of the best examples of that is neoliberals using a feminism angle to, to protect and defend Hillary. Exactly. I mean, that, that kind of stuff is very bad. And, you know, I, I, I think it's, 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 it really does weaken um, why we do need like, you know, some contingent of identity politics, which is something that after, after Trump got in office, I am. Uh, so much more understanding of why that's an important flank of like left protesting or just left activism in this country. And I, I, you know, I, I think that I just want to throw this out there that people who are more anti-imperialism, more s- critics of the structures of empire, our foreign policy who are on the left. um, I think it's now is the time where we need, we, there is a bridge between, like people more like me and sort of the, you know, more identity politics focused people on the left that we kind of need to join together right now and remember that we are part of like a larger left to fight this, this oppressive system. Yeah. And um, and if
0: you look at what identity politics has arisen out of, it is the deconstruction and destabilization of the left of a coherent working class socialist oriented um, ideology in this country that was battered, imprisoned, crushed by the state. Um, and and out of that, out of the ashes of COINTELPRO in the 60s and 70s rose the Reagan era and this kind of reactionary force. And that in turn got us this identitarian um, pol- political sphere, where a lot of people are maybe dissociated from what left politics really is. But we shouldn't look at these people and be like, you have no leg to stand on. Like, obviously, black people are being oppressed. Obviously, women, now women's rights are under attack. Obviously, Latinos are under threat. All of these identities have perfect um, validity to be organized in their own identity, to be active on that front. But it's also important to have this greater understanding of, of how that unifying factor can come together with other leftists who don't share that identity. But I think that it all stems from the crushing of any sort of real resistance that came out of the sixties and seventies to now today, we're still trying to catch up where Bernie Sanders, Uh you know, as a democratic socialist. And that was like the first time in a long ass time that people finally were kind of, um, favored socialism over capitalism because I think that we see inequalities at a greater rate than ever before. It's getting worse. The Oxfam study that said sixty-two people owned half the world's wealth just two years ago now has turned to eight and it's like mm-hmm. eight American men. Um and when you're looking at what Marxism means, people have no idea what the fuck Marxism means. Marxism is literally an analysis of capitalism. It's not even necessarily political ideology or like a systems ideology. It's just saying this is why capitalism will fail. So when people Mm -hmm. call themselves Marxists, like Dr. Richard Wolff is like a famous Marxist economist, he doesn't even necessarily propose like, here's what should replace capitalism. He just says, this is my Marxist analysis about why capitalism is defunct. And it's very spot Mm -hmm. on. Um, So, you know, when people talk about cultural Marxism, let's be honest, they're talking about multiculturalism because what Marxists and socialists really want Is no racial lines like at the end of the day when you know Steve Bannon says I'm a Leninist I want to abolish the state it doesn't mean that he's a socialist it doesn't mean that he has the same ideals as Lenin or or Marx at all they saw the abolish like abolishing the state means that once you have workers and all the people have full democratic control over the systems of governance then the state would eventually just dissolve Because there would be no need for a governing apparatus to have, like, totality over these institutions. That would just be all self-governed by the masses. And that's what they mean by the state being eventually eroded. So Steve Bannon has used this kind of terminology to, like, heighten this, like, war on the leftists by using their own terms against them. It's very interesting. Um, but, mm-hmm. but when socialists at the end of the day, well, that's why it's so erroneous when people say, Oh, you want to talk about the alt-right? Well, let's talk about the alt-left and the far left. Well, there is no far left extremist, like genocidal ideology. The far left, if you're <laughs> looking at what like communism and socialism, it, but
1: Abby white genocide, it,
0: like the ideology just means like whole, no that's, racism that's, and like, like globalism, which actually does. That's the heart of this. That really scares people is because they really don't believe in borders And they and they think that there needs to be like a global revolution, obviously abolishing capitalism worldwide because it's a global oppressive institution and a structural violence that kills millions of people around the world every day. So, yeah, I mean, it is scary when you liken it to like this cultural Marxism. What does that really mean? It means it means multiculturalism, allowing other races and treating them as as your brothers and sisters, because that's opening all the barriers to the pockets of isolation that you guys have put yourselves in totally fear-mongered yourselves into oblivion, um, that's, yeah, that is the opposite of what Marxists believe. So that's why, like, the Soviet Union had a lot of faults, but they also were, like, aiding and abetting a lot of, like, Marxist uprisings around Latin America and stuff like that, because they saw it as a globe. Just like, you know, how globally, like, imperialism sees the same thing. They want to crush all Marxist revolts and crush all communist yeah. states, and they still have Cuba up their ass, which is kind of defying... That whole order that we wanted to to prove wrong so yeah it's very interesting these terms are thrown around and and the term fascism as we were saying in the last episode it means the corporate marriage of the state and obviously this didn't come out of the blue but if you do not want to address the faults of capitalism and how the inevitability of unbridled unfettered capital, capitalism is fascism which is exactly what we're seeing today then There's not going to be any deep analysis or any any real grasp on how we can challenge this because you have Nancy Pelosi up there getting visibly perturbed and shaking when it when a student asks her, how can Democrats appeal to the Bernie Sanders movement who wants a different kind of economic interpretation? And she goes, we're capitalists, okay?" She's like, "Okay, well, we're capitalists. And that's just the way it is. And you're like, whoa, what are you (laughs) talking about, dude? Like. Okay, well then that's just the way it is, Nancy. Well then, then you get someone like Trump. Run the country like a business.
1: Yeah, it's it's um it is really interesting how the right in general and I mean and I and I don't mean to generalize the right, but I think that a lot of people on the right have been indoctrinated into believing that they're being oppressed somehow on some level by the left mm-hmm. whether it be the liberal media liberal hollywood you know these liberal corporations and it's like you know these these um institutions i mean maybe hollywood is more liberal i mean i i will concede to that but i mean the calling the media liberal um is just so so blatantly false and corporations care about money yeah you know everyone like even just this whole like why are they casting, you know, female leads in Star Wars or like replacing, you know, characters with like black actors? Do you really think these corporations are doing it out of some kind of like identitarian like they want to like push the envelope? No, they're doing it because they're they're reading the barometer of the country and thinking that that's going to make them more money. I don't right. I mean, I don't think for a second that the that like, you know, the Female Ghostbusters movie was a a calculated attempt to like push, you know, some kind of identitarian, uh, feminism on the American public. It was just like, they, they, that's what they thought was their, was their meal ticket. Like it would make them money. So I, I just find that fascinating that, that a lot of the Trump supporters are in this perpetual state of victimhood where they think that they're being oppressed from all sides. Like, and It is sort of like a white male victim, victim mentality, like perpetual victim mentality. Um, And it's unfortunate because uh, I feel like it's, I mean, I mean, it's obviously so false, but it's like, it's, it's not an empowering or, um, or good, healthy thing to believe, to feel like you know, that everyone's against you and that the left is this spectre that's always trying to beat you down. I mean, it's just, um, it's, it's just sad. Uh, and I think that it shows a lack of conviction of what they actually believe. Like, it seems mostly right now, this movement is largely defined by a hatred of the left and the unification around that rather than actual beliefs that they hold. That's why Trump was like scattershot all over the map with his policy positions because it's, but at the same time, all his stuff going against the left, um, you know, that's what's unified. That's what the most unifying aspect of it, I think, including the law and order stuff, it touches on that because it means that, you know, he's going to go in inner cities and make sure all these, you know, um, BLM people and, and like, you know, black teens are. it does extend to all of that. But I just think that, you know, it is it is a dangerous trend because it it's pushing us into more polarization, and it's false. It's like you're not being oppressed; the people who are oppressing you are the people with the most money and the most power. Yeah, dude, this, that's this, pretty much how it always is. So
0: yeah, exactly. The, well, that's why I think we've said it before. The alt right is not a political movement; it is an, a reactionary movement that is mostly bred online of basically people who are offended by multiculturalism by what they call globalism which is like opening borders allowing refugees it really harbors on these pinnacles of xenophobia i mean blatantly so you know and and it really it's just a reaction to the identitarian politics and pc culture and that's actually sad because it really makes them look weak and pathetic that you're that offended by like a black woman in ghostbusters You know, it's like, dude, isn't there other more important things going on in your life and your community and your family?
1: No, they, they really, this is what really gets under their skin. And that's, that's the, that is the disturbing part about it is it's like, I mean, even the term globalist, you know, it used to be kind of more of a, a neutral term when I first started hearing it, you know, and then now. The president himself started saying it and it now is blatantly a coded racist term for those goddamn foreigners, those goddamn foreign companies. It's not, But it's like it's missing the key issue here, which is like American companies mostly became so powerful that they became international corporations that raped and pillaged parts of the entire planet. Like that's, when I originally heard the term globalist, like that's how, that's what how I understood it. It's now become America good, these foreign companies, these companies ran by foreigners. It's like, no, actually a lot of these companies are straight up, 100% American values exported all over the world. And by American values, I mean like rampant, unchecked capitalism that fucking turns whole classes of people in these other countries into basically slave slave classes, indentured servants. So I just don't understand how even that is um is has become like a right wing talking point. Yeah,
0: I even had a, a giant argument with someone who took over that Facebook group. Um and and I was saying, yeah, I mean Exxon Mobil, like we have this it's like it's the veneer of whatever the hell system we had before, whatever oligarchic mess that America was is now the veneer is completely lifted. We have just literal billionaire CEO oil conglomerates running our State Department. And this guy was like, but that's good. He was like, it crushed the Rothschild dynasty. And I was like, dude, are you like that juvenile that you think the Rothschilds, like the oligarchs from the 1920s are running the world? Is that really what you fucking think? Like, let's talk about who's actually running the show. Instead of this like weird dog whistling to like old Jewish conspiracies back in the fucking 1900s. The Rothschilds and Rockefellers. Yeah, they're two of like 30 billionaire families who are destroying shit. I don't know what the focus is on these kind of old school like oil people and how suddenly it's good that Exxon now. It doesn't even make sense, but it shows you where some people's minds are at. Like they're actually stretching their logic so much that they're trying to justify why it's good that Exxon is running our State Department. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, that's what's that's what's so fascinating about. Um, and I know we have been talking about Alex Jones and Infowars probably more than we should be, but it's fascinating how off target he has made. Like in terms of these new the New World Order elitists that he goes after, it's it, it's it's off target in the sense that it's not like the actual people who are controlling things, he misses so many of those people. And yet he targets really only one sector of the elites, which is sort of the more liberal, like Europeans, like centric, like philosophies, like Bilderberg, like the fact that he specifically only goes after Bilderberg um, is, is revealing in and of itself. I mean, he went to Bohemian Grove once, you know, way before he got popular and he hasn't gone again. And why hasn't he? Well, I think the answer is pretty fucking obvious. It's because a lot of the people who go to Bohemian Grove are actually right wing. And he's now more of in line with a lot of those elitists and doesn't target them ever. I mean, Bohemian Grove is a known more Republican sort of right wing male establishment, elitist social club, uh, secret society thing. And, uh, He doesn't talk about it at all anymore. Yeah. Remember, he didn't Um, even know.
0: He kept saying the Koch brothers. He was like, he was like the Koch brothers, like acting like he didn't know who to like the most influential oil family billionaires who have essentially like hijacked all of the right wing media in the fucking world to promote climate change disinformation. Oh, he just didn't know who they were. He just has no idea who they are. But he'll, he'll die for Trump, though. He's ready to die for Trump.
1: Oh yeah, we need to we need to mention this because we're gonna talk about sort of the brown shirt mentality that's happening right now. And you know, I thought that Nazi the Nazi accusations being thrown around um against Trump and his supporters and the fascism uh accusations were hyperbolic uh before the election and even before the inauguration. I did not um I was very hesitant and very careful about using terms like that. Until he got into office and I started, I saw like a switch flip among his supporters where um, they became way crazier, Abby, like overnight. I mean, like within maybe like a few days, 48 hour period. And after this Milo UC Berkeley response, it was like they took the gloves off and literally acted like it was the end of the world and it's time to go out into the streets and kill liberals and leftists now like the amount of comments that I saw um, the amount uh, and just and, and all the places that I looked was very very disturbing and then now we have Alex Jones saying he's ready to die for a sitting president of the United States who's a elitist billionaire moron and he says um, and he
0: says if, if if he delivers it'll be bigger than 1776 what does that mean he delivers what exactly?
1: I I don't know. Maybe, you know, the only... I, I don't know. Maybe Roger Stone is whispering in Alex Jones' ear about, you know, different conspiracy dog whistling stuff still. Roger Stone did tell Alex Jones, you know, Trump knows about 9-11. And it's like, what does that really mean? Just like, what does it mean when Trump says we're killers to Bill O'Reilly? What did he actually mean by that? Did he mean... Is he talking about Iraq? Or is he just know what kind of red meat to throw out there like Oh, what do you what do you think abby
0: yeah no i think i think that exactly he knows exactly what red meat to throw out there and i think really when you and we can go into bannon later but we're doing a big expose on bannon and really all you have to do is look at what bannon believes and what he wants and what bannon wants is a bloody blood and gut civil war against the left literally that i mean he said it You look at all his crazy movies he's like also a documentarian he did a crazy movie about occupy a crazy movie building up sarah palin but but there's a common thread through all of his work that is demonizing the left as the enemy along with obviously immigrants women trans people and um and black people but yeah i mean that that's that's what he wants so i think that i honestly think this uc berkeley thing and let's let's talk about this um he is personal friends with Milo. Milo Yiannopoulos had a regular blog on Breitbart. Don't forget
1: to mention that he used to wear an iron cross, <laughs> yeah. which is a blatant Nazi symbol. Yep. He used to and...
0: proudly display his Hitler books on his Instagram. Um, so he's definitely rebranded himself. And now he uses his gayness as like a way to demonize gay people and trans people. It's quite amazing, but it's really no different when you look at someone like Majad Nawaz, you know, it's really just yeah. utilizing themselves in order to, bolster bigotry on the right and be like oh look no like this guy's gay and he fucks black guys like how could he be a neo-nazi and it's like well that's really stupid but if you really want me to explain to you why just because george zimmerman's mexican doesn't mean that he can't hate black people like you understand um so it's just really really dumb but yeah i mean so milo i think that him and and steve bannon are good friends and by proxy that means that him and donald trump are good friends he already said he's like getting a white house press pass and shit So I think that this was like planting the seeds very early on. Similarly to the Muslim ban, I think Steve Bannon, you know, probably already this is arranged, but but still, like the fact that he was invited to speak at Berkeley, one of the most liberal hubs of radical thought in the entire country, and has this crazy reaction to him. And then everyone just zeroes in on Berkeley as like, this is the hub of free speech now. Like, Milo's like... We need to defend Milo's free speech. Like, look at these people are the fascists now. Like, these protesters are the fascists. I feel like Steve Bannon and, and, you know, Donald Trump's tweet the next morning saying, like, I'm going to threaten cutting off federal funds to institutions that doesn't protect neo-Nazis, essentially. I think that this was really cultivated by Breitbart and Bannon to...
1: Absolutely. To,
0: you know, go to the most extreme place you can, Berkeley... Kind of behind, you know, under the radar, and then have it blow up to this extreme height. to Then now you can say, "Oh, leftists hate free speech." Well, what are we going to do about exactly. it? Exactly. What are we going to do about it?
1: Exactly. They want to make what's scary it. This to is, me. And this um, is unfortunately, I think it has the p- potential of working. And this is and this is what worries me about that that attempt of what they're trying to do is there. Are, I think it crosses a lot of um, different like groups of people across the country.
0: But um I was just saying um, that I I think that this was you know trying to paint the left early on as the intolerant anti-free speech fascists oddly enough which is completely insane and makes zero sense. Um yeah, and, and I don't know if you agree. want to go out, go off that.
1: No, I, I, before we got cut mysteriously cut off again, um uh I was saying that I think, unfortunately, the thing that worries me about what you just said is that I, I think it has the potential of of, uh, of working on a certain level because it crosses so many different sectors of American society. People who don't want any form of hate speech, um, you know, like even comedians, for example... Like they think that they're under threat from like these social justice right. warriors. Like a lot of comedians who aren't like, oh, like left-wing talk don't about live in rape California and
0: stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: Like, which is, which is unfortunate that they see it that way. But I think that that's the that is the danger here. Is these these Breitbart agitators in that in that um, rollout of that plan. I think that's a hundred percent what they're trying to do. Has the, um. It can have the power to ensnare people who do not subscribe at all to other aspects of right wing ideology, but who think that it is extremely important that we let people like Milo, you know, say whatever he wants on campuses. Like there are people who will take that stand. And that's that's what Steve Bannon and these like Breitbart people are. They're trying to create a wedge so that people who might otherwise have sympathy with all these other left issues will all of a sudden be like, wait, now I'm under some reason, like those people see, you know, can, will, will take what's, what Steve Bannon is trying to do with Milo and apply it to their own selves. Like they're going to be censored at some point. I mean, like even Jerry Seinfeld made this big show of acting like, you know, he can't even do college campus shows anymore because the college kids are way too sensitive at his jokes. And then the joke that he proceeded to tell as the example was a terribly dumb joke that nobody in their right mind would have thought was funny because Jerry Seinfeld is a hack. And he's, and he's actually not that funny without Larry David's help. Um, And the, I mean, the, I don't even know if you remember the joke. He was like, (laughs) I mean, he's like, yeah, people on, on, on their phones. Now they're like a gay French King, like just like, Oh, I like this. I don't like this. And he like made fun of like a, he did like a fake gay, like voice and like hand motions for like a minute straight on like a college campus stage. Like, I mean, sure. If you want to do like jokes about, black people like eating watermelon or something like you're going to that's like a that's like a that would have been a joke like that would have been funny to people like 40 years ago or something it's just weird that he would use that as an example of why these college kids are so sensitive no you're just a shitty comedian who writes bad jokes you're like really out of touch with society yeah Um. and
0: i think that it's really (laughs) important to say like okay what is free speech free speech is a it's a it's a liberty that is constitutionally protected by the government um and it means that the government will protect your right to have free speech but yeah me i don't think that this really falls under free speech i don't think that the protest against milo is really you know are you protecting free speech or not i think that what it is is that free speech does not mean that public institutions like universities are um forced or should be forced to allow neo-nazis platforms i I don't understand this argument like like milo has the right to go all over the world to wherever he wants as long as like i I, like i don't want to pay for him being hosted at a university like and i know that the you know a lot of people in berkeley probably felt very slighted that they were affiliated with an institution that was promoting neo-nazi um Mm -hmm. to speak and i think that that's completely different it's like milo can go around to kkk clubs he can go around to alt-right meetup groups and do whatever the fuck he wants movie theaters whatever but i think that when you're when you're talking about the berkeley campus it's a little bit different and it's not really like we have the right to invite neo-nazis onto the stage to debate people when has that ever worked in the history of the fucking world like fascists and nazis don't they don't get swayed by logic and facts that's that's their ideology it's very reactionary and it doesn't cowtail to like oh logic oh okay well you just told me that immigrants like are less likely to commit crimes no that's not gonna like win over a debate um the more that these people are allowed platforms like david Pac-Man's show like i'm not saying that he that richard spencer should be shut down from the internet I'm just saying, why? Why do you feel like you should give neo-Nazis a platform literally in the wake of Donald Trump's presidency? Like, are they not being heard enough? So that was my whole thing is like, A, I don't think that it falls under free speech because there's no government hammering down on Milo and saying you can't talk. In fact, it's the opposite. The government is now saying I'm going to fucking threaten you if you don't let Milo talk and protect him with fucking cops. And on the the other note, I don't think that I personally don't think that universities should be hosting debates with Nazis and non-Nazis. I just don't see the point. And I don't think that that is a free speech issue. Sorry.
1: Especially in this age when there is a real danger of of like this sort of white supremacist mentality becoming normalized. Because unfortunately, that's what's happened through this is a lot of this coded white supremacy has become embedded in sort of this alt-right movement and they and they play they act like they're not not you know neo nazis when we know a lot of them are pretending like they're not some of them actually might be too ignorant to realize that a lot of the stuff they're saying is comes comes from neo nazi culture i mean the people probably saying white genocide those are straight up neo nazis but i bet even some of them are dumb enough young enough where they don't even really understand where that's really coming from and i think that that so there's, there's a few different things happening here. So right after Trump got in office, or right after he won, sorry, not got in office, UC Berkeley started to see all these weird neo-Nazi uh, campus activists doing little pro-Trump protests like on the campus. Some For some reason, just like we were saying earlier, a switch flipped after Trump got in where a lot of blatant neo-Nazis felt empowered and more safe to go out and go to the streets and start doing things. And there was actually video, there's a webcast, someone started filming these guys. There's like this Asian guy with his shirt off, like a hairless chest with a giant painted black swastika across his chest. Just like screaming and like running around the Berkeley campus, like acting like, you know, like a real life embodiment of like a 4chan alt-right troll. And it's just like, so when stuff like that starts happening, it's like, I mean don't you understand people are legitimately scared of like this becoming more of a normal, like normalized thing? Like why on earth would uh have, it just doesn't make sense why people can't see that. Like having Milo speak at these colleges is like encouraging that kind of behavior. Yeah. And, and um, let's talk about what he does. It's not a free speech is, issue. This is,
0: so people have actually taken a Milo's defense rapidly, liberals included, by being like, oh, that's false. He doesn't out undocumented people. Well, you you showed the picture Right on your Twitter he, he puts up ICE's number And with his little hearts Like making it all gay looking And he's like Purge your local illegals And we do know That he n- Not necessarily Outed a trans person At the college But the trans person Was not Ready to be like Exposed In the fucking audience Amidst uh, Dozens if not hundreds Of xenophobic bigots Her identity And he put her picture up on the fucking projector and proceeded to talk about this person for like five to ten minutes they dropped out of the fucking school because they felt so disrespected and, and unprotected and terrified from like a mob that would maybe go after them and milo was making fun of this trans person and being like i'd fuck him look at it, he looks it, the, like it just looks like a dude with a wig and just like may just completely made this subject the the whole point of his spectacle so yeah I mean, you could you could and that's say, a form of violence it's completely that's not a just form speech. of violence. you're inciting a mob against trans yeah. students like that's crazy
1: yeah it it is crazy and and that's and that's what I don't think people understand here. He's not just and and yeah, I'm sure on some level he's doing those things he's he's keeps pushing the envelope to create a situation where he can be seen as like this free speech guy who's going to the very fringes of speech free speech and they're trying to censor him. I mean like so you know it's possible that he was even trying to provoke a more intense response to his protests like because that's what he wanted. And that's the that's the only dilemma here for me is like is this at the same time like I do think he should be shut down and he shouldn't be allowed to speak at these college campuses but like what if you know, what if the more this happens, it's like the more popular we make him. Like, how do you, how do you, what do you do to address that? That seems like a dilemma that's hard to work with. Um, well, I, because the more, every time, mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think about that?
0: Well, I I saw people liberals also saying that argument and saying, you know, this his book shot up to now number three on Amazon when before it was like non-existent, and this is making him more popular than ever, and he's all over the TV and da da da. Yeah, I, I I think that. He still needs to be shut down. Um, I think that it's good. Like someone else made the comment, like why aren't protesters focusing on like bank CEOs? And it's like, well, Occupy Wall Street did focus entirely on the banking institution, <laughs> so I don't know what where that's at. But I do think it's really great that people are focusing on these alt right figures who have harbored this Islamophobic. Um, xenophobic attitude and I think it's great that people are targeting people like Gavin McGinnis um, who should absolutely be included um, in the people that we're talking about right, right now Milo Gavin McGinnis these types of people need to be confronted they need to be shut down Um, I don't think that they need to be shut down with quote-unquote violence but I don't think that protesters are fascist for trying to block someone from like getting into a, a college campus if they are openly trying to like put trans people on the spot and incite mob, um, mentality against them. So I, yeah, I mean, it is a dilemma. It's like, okay, do you want him to get more popular? No, but I think that he's, I think that this is just a peak and it's going to go down very quickly because I think that what campuses realize now, like Berkeley's not going to host Milo again, that's for damn sure. After having like 10,000 to $20,000 worth of damage to their windows and stuff like that. So I think that above all people now realize it's extremely costly And ineffective to host these people. Um, And even Gavin McGinnis was just shut down at at NYU or whatever the other day, just days after that. And I think that even though there's a peak and a surge in their popularity right now, it's going to come crashing down and they're not going to go up from here. Um, Everyone hates these people. They're now put on the spotlight. And I think it's great. And I think that they're not going to have those platforms and venues um, on college campuses. And I think that this is it's gonna it's not gonna last. I don't think that their popularity is gonna last, so enjoy it while enjoy it while you can. you know I don't think that this is just going to go up and up and up for them, and they're gonna be
1: no i I completely agree yeah. with you i mean that's the that's the most wonderful thing about this is the alt right and these sort of quote unquote edgy outsider forces you know that were were not part of the establishment before and thought they were being oppressed by the establishment, the liberal establishment y- you guys are now uh have your guy in power. And now you're part of the establishment. So this whole like game of acting like you're outsiders trying to fight the system, you're now part of the system. And by default, you're not, you're going to, you've lost your edge. Like you're now defending sitting power, the power structure. And I see their time is over. I Mm -hmm. mean, like I just saw Paul Joseph Watson tweeting that conservative is the new counterculture. It's punk rock. And I was just thinking... You're you're just so fucking stupid for not realizing how hard the pendulum is going to swing the other way. Actually, the opposite is is the case. Conservatism is now part of the establishment again, and now liberalism and leftist thought will become the counterculture. Yeah, I mean, it, and it always has been, but it's going to become it even more to a to a degree that they are underestimating and will be um, steamrolled over like a fucking tank. And I can't wait for that to happen because, uh, it's just, it makes me so happy to see these people now having to twist and turn and defend Trump, uh, no matter what he does, because you cannot maintain sort of like an edgy, like I'm, I speak my mind about whatever when you're doing that at the same time. Like it just doesn't work. That's why people who are carrying water for Obama, who are trying to be like, you know, left activists, they, they didn't look so good either. I mean... Um, so I, yeah, I think that the, the time of the alt-right is, is, uh, is over. Um, and, but at the same time though, a lot of these people are very crazy, um, and willing to do, you know, really stupid things to get their, you know, yeah. ma- to make like a show out of things it's I, like reporting mm-hmm. warehouse spaces to the police after the ghost ship fire. You know, there was a huge 4chan alt-right thing where they were calling the fire department of police on all these living spaces across the country. Um, so, you know, they can still do real damage, but it's funny that they're the ones acting like we're trying to shut down free speech when they're doing shit like that. It's like, no, no. And another problem is
0: that the far right will, you know, these people who are Milo followers and supporters, they are much more likely to go up and actually shoot up a crowd of innocent people as like a reaction to what happened in Berkeley. Like as much as you want to talk about Antifa and the black Bloc and their tactics, they are not going to go like kill someone. I and mean, I'm not going to speak for for them. Uh, I'm just saying like I just think it's a little bit different. Like they attack property because they are anarchists and they don't hold property over life. Um so they don't give a fuck. Um but I I think that that's the scary thing. Is like the more these things happen, the more you you might see very reactionary violent methods attacking a lot of innocent civilians from right-wingers and Trump supporters as like, you know, they would even see like, this is like cultural Marxism taking over, dude, we got to go take to the streets. Like you were saying, and kill yeah. communists,
1: kill well, these no, fascist and and Antifa that, people. And, 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 you know, Black Bloc and Antifa were v- relatively obscure, especially Antifa. Like nobody had ever heard of them until like the Richard Spencer punch. And I don't even know how many of them were actually at the Milo protest, but I mean, Black Bloc is pretty much at every major protest that like, you'll ever go to. That's like organic. Like, I mean, Occupy, um, the inauguration protests. I mean, like, you know, the Women's March didn't yeah. have any Black Bloc because I think a lot of that was was a largely funded... It wasn't as organic as some of the other protests were, um, you know, and maybe there was a little bit more of a co- cohesive organizational mm-hmm. structure where they, like, didn't allow Black Bloc people in or whatever. But, I mean... If you're a liberal or a left activist or you've been to these marches, they're, they they always somehow get in. And even when there's not really any reason to, you know, sometimes they'll just destroy property um, because, because they can. And it's more of like an accelerationist mm-hmm. philosophy. One that I thought, you know, I was in kind of opposition to before Trump got in office. But honestly, now that he's in office, I mean if we're really seeing the beginnings of like the fascist framework for an actual fascist presidency, I mean, black, the stuff black box doing, seems pretty minor, you know, in comparison to that it's not, it's, and it's property damage. It's like, you know, they'll, they'll hit people over the head sometimes like when, you know, and a lot of these times it's like, Oh, they're like mob, you know, they're like an angry mob, like beating up a guy in a Trump hat, you know, for no reason. And it's, it's usually not the case. You know, someone with the Trump hat will run up, and sucker punch somebody, or try to start a fight, and then run away, and then they'll go after them or something, you know. But there, I mean, there are instances where they'll just like pepper, you know, like they pepper sprayed the girl in the face with the thing. But I mean, we're we're we are living in a very scary new era where even the mainstream media was telling us that this guy was fascist going into this. So what do you expect to happen? Black bloc and Antifa will will always show up, and I always always
0: like, oh, it's cool that there's like an anti fascist anti-nazi movement that will show up to like try to fucking shame nazis whenever they have their little meetups and stuff but now it seems like it's just becoming a whole other level because like you said now it's so normalized that you you know ever like there's so many more neo-nazis that are just unmasked now the bigotry is so much more embraced and unabashed that yeah we're seeing a lot more antifa presence and coming out of the woodwork and it's i mean yeah, I I think that in comparison to an actual fascist police state, I don't really give a fuck about breaking a bank window.
1: Well, yeah, that's the thing here. It's like if we if we are living in a new fascist era, um I have a lot less of a problem with Black Bloc and and the stuff that they do than I did previous to this. I mean, but at the same time, like there is another aspect to this where the mainstream media will only show the stuff black block is doing and act like and you know th- then the rest of the public by proxy they'll they'll think that that's the entire protest contingent when if you're a protester let's just say in theory you're a protester you bring a sign to you know an anti-Milo rally what can you do to tell Black block people not to break windows or to stop? I mean you can't there's no you don't have no power over them they'll do it regardless if you want them to or not it doesn't matter so it's just like It's just funny that, you know, all these housewives and people who are like sitting watching Fox News and CNN at home who don't live out here or who are like right wing, you know, they'll just see, they'll play into this narrative or they'll buy into this narrative that like all leftists or like liberals are violent rioters, you know, which is like the, the, the talking point going around. And it's, I mean, it's the minority of these protesters are actually doing like black block tactics. Yeah. And and, and um, I remember
0: but, a lot of the times we were like, why are they white? Well, I, I, I talked to someone who's in um, black block here and some Antifa people. And they're like, yeah, they're like, we put out our white contingent because we are willing to risk arrest more than people who maybe have prior convictions. It's like, we understand that we are more privileged in order to like put ourselves on the front line to risk arrest and like risk these like violent altercations because we are white and like the more privileged mm-hmm. class of society. And I thought that, that was really interesting because I've always been like, why the fuck are all, like they're mostly white. They kind of come in here and fuck shit up. And especially during
1: Occupy, it was frustrating. And it must be stressed also that they're not actually an organization. Mm-hmm. They're they're more of a tactic right? Um, that has actually like a history in the United States going back, I believe to the 90s, um, like the Seattle WTO protest, I think is when Black Bloc really got on the map Um, And the stuff that they did, I think they were actually more organized in Seattle back then, but it kind of the tactic and the mentality got exported all across the country, mostly on the West coast. Um, And like you said, like, you know, if that's the case, I haven't heard what you just said before. It makes sense. And there, there are times when, you know, they come into conflict with like the non-white, uh, you know, population who's not too happy about what they're doing. And and one instance was that, I think it was at the Whole Foods um, during one of the Occupy marches, a black Oakland resident uh, started physically fighting back against them and was like, well, this doesn't, you know, this doesn't define us. We, we don't, we don't agree with these tactics. And they actually like, you know, they backed off. Yeah. Um, and I think that was, you know, it's smart of BlackBlock to back off in those scenarios. Um, because then, then they do look like they're just being disruptive right. to the actual communities protesting. So in certain certain instances, Black Block, you know, makes a makes a strategic decision not to like, you know, assault a Black Oakland resident in order to break a Whole Foods window. So right, right, right. I mean, but but now. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a lot more sympathetic to their cause now because of what danger we are facing with the climate that our country is going in. But at the same time, we also have to understand that this is what the right wing will use to demonize the entire left. And we
0: shouldn't romanticize like like the, the tactics either. I mean, it's.
1: Yeah. So I don't know where that's going to go, but I definitely think that this is Bandon and sort of the Breitbart's. Um, you know, the, the, those people, it's their attempt to demonize the left and then should wage war on it. This was actually the first time I ever saw black bloc on the front lines mm-hmm. against the SWAT right. police. That's a change because when we were at Occupy Abby, I mean, we only saw them pop out to break windows and then like run back into the crowd and let the crowd deal with the SWAT police. Like, I don't remember I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't remember the black block being there to fight off the SWAT police, like when they would really like launch tear gas and stuff. No, I remember there was, that was one
0: time during the day when they all had the shields up and they were on the front lines uh-huh. moving forward and they really got fucked with, but they were leading the march against the cops. And there was like a, th- that was when the cops like tear gas families, like walking with babies. Oh yeah, in, in, during and stuff. the day, yep. yeah. And then kettled everyone so into they... that giant lot with the fence, but they were on the front lines with the shields that day. And I remember being like, good, like, that's great, you know? Yeah.
1: I mean, that's, and I want to see more of that. I mean, like, I, I think that that's, if they're willing to put their safety and like lives on the line against the police who are, you know, indiscriminately launching flashbang grenades and tear gas canisters, like directly at protesters heads and stuff. And they're going to be willing to do that anyways, regardless of black block or not, which is, which they would be. um, I think that that's. That's when we really need people like yeah. Black, Black Um, So I'm I'm an advocate of that m- mainly as as like um, so. And I wanted to say So yeah, my attitude mm-hmm. is what I wanted, my attitude has changed about it. But um, what were you going to say? I Sorry. was going to
0: say one really quick thing before we go into the Nazism and stuff. Um, you know, Richard Spencer and Milo and these people. Like I was saying during the Bush administration, it was hard to really find bush on campus or find any of these war criminals in his administration john Yu, of course teaches at berkeley no one really talks about that he has to move his classroom though because he he'll get fucked with i think but um but no i think it's that's why this is so appealing because people see the influence the enormous influence that these people wield and they are accessible to heckle and and try to stop from speaking and so i think that that's why people are targeting these people because they see yeah like you guys did bring us trump essentially like of course you could talk about the multitude of other things that brought us trump but this ideology that's getting normalized now you can pinpoint to a couple fascist figures on the right paul joseph watson being one of them and i guarantee you he'll never have a speaking tour here because if he does it's going to be really um not very successful but You know, when Nazis start saying they need to secure public spaces and access and protection for their movement to succeed, then I think it becomes the job of leftists to deny them public spaces like that. They have the right to go, like I said, go to your own meetup groups and whatever. But like coming to public institutions and universities, I think there's really no historical precedent for success of engaging this type of mentality and ideology in a friendly debate. I think that the opposite is true. And I don't think that denying Nazis the right to recruit on like publicly funded institutions makes you a fascist. I think that that is very erroneous. (laughs) And I think that this whole like not, you know, um, Hitler was a socialist thing and Antifa's fascist is very confused. And I don't know if you want to go into like how that just doesn't make
1: any sense, but. Well, it's just such a childlike response to be like, I'm not a fascist. You are like, it's just like, And, and at the same time, I do, like I was saying earlier, I do think a lot of these people are dumb enough where they don't understand or just don't care or don't do enough like critical analysis to understand that a lot of this stuff is coded white supremacy that come, that actually comes from neo-Nazi movements. And the most extreme example, obviously being white genocide, but it goes, it goes into all these other areas too. Um, you know like thinking that illegal immigrants are are rapists and murderers i mean that is a white supremacist uh, neo nazi belief um and like so i don't know it's just i i think that uh those people um you know a lot of their followers might not be neo nazis but the people who are putting out this information like they know what they're doing and it's and sometimes it's cleverly coded um, but we know, I mean, like there's there, yeah, like the picture of Milo wearing the iron cross. I mean, there were points in his career where he was more comfortably more open with his actual, you know, beliefs or maybe shock tactics or whatever. Shock tactics or not, you're wearing an iron cross. Um, and you spout the kind of ideology he does. You, you don't really have to add many things together to understand what what he is. Right. He so, just puts
0: himself under the guise of like I'm a performance artist. I just say things that are provocative. Well, we know where you came from, bro. SARS.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, <clears> it's just it's just phony. <laughs> like I like like I would respect these people more if they were more um, openly neo-Nazi. I mean, that's the reason the word respect is probably not the right word, but like they would be, they'd just be more real. I mean, it's all this phony coded you know, this is a reasonable argument for why you should hate minorities right. kind of thing. It's like, mm, you know yeah. I mean? Yep. So.
0: And, and I just want to, let's put, let's get this out of the way. People who tell me Hitler was a socialist. Okay. So, you know, how misnomers are are very prevalent throughout history, whether you, like we were just saying neoliberalism, perfect example. It has nothing to do with being liberal. <laughs> it's like the opposite, actually, because you're like taking away programs for the poor, right? In favor of corporations. So just because hitler was a member of the quote national national socialist party or whatever he was a member of does not make him a leftist socialist um in fact there was an interview oh yeah okay let's just get this out of the way he's a rabid racist who basically used socialist language per the um climate um there was a huge economic collapse at the time in germany Um, And he took that to his advantage. He used the language to his advantage because of the popularity of socialism around the world at the time and because of the economic crisis in Germany. Um, There was a really interesting interview with Hitler that was published right at the beginning of his reign, where the woman is asking him, and I'll put this on the timeline as well, where she says, why, I asked Hitler, do you call yourself a national socialist since your party program is the very antithesis of that commonly accredited to socialism? Hitler responds saying socialism is the science of dealing with the common well. Communism is not socialism. Marxism is is not socialism. The Marxians have stolen the term and confused its meaning. I shall take socialism away from the socialists. And then here's what he says. He says socialism is an ancient Aryan Germanic... Germanic institution. Our German ancestors held certain lands in common. They cultivated the idea of the common well. Marxism has no right to dis- disguise itself as socialism. Socialism, unlike Marxism, does not repudiate private property. Here's where we get into really what Hitler believed in. He believed in socialism for the white Aryan class and the nation. So he he was a nationalist and he basically says we he says, unlike Marxism, socialism involves no negation of personality. And unlike Marxism, it's patriotic. So it doesn't repudiate private property. I don't know what the fuck he's even talking about. He just sounds like he's like a complete insane person, actually. But it shows you that he has no idea. You know, he obviously does not adhere to like leftist socialist ideals. He was a rabid racist, total conspiracy theorist, out of touch Um, narcissist who was obsessed with the notion of private property and power for the white Aryan Germans and he interpreted socialism as being a nationalist identitarian thing so you know it's just like a really sad talking point that does not hold any water and it does not mean that Hitler like you know nothing's black and white like don't just take oh Hitler was a socialist did you know that It's like, dude, just look into this stuff a little bit. It's not, it's not really that hard. Um, And I would recommend just to look into a little bit of what socialism actually is. It means controlling the means of production and democratically, like having a say in what, how means are produced and how the economy is structured. It's not, you know, it's just like, it's very, very weird how people are just really have no knowledge of these things.
1: Well, it's like the right wing has managed to weaponize um, those terms—the term Marxist and the term socialist—to the point where, if you're a right wing reader of Breitbart, you think that like every Black Lives Mat- Matter uh, protester is some kind of Marxist, you know, pro Mao Zedong like uh, like person or like something. Stalinist, like that's the yeah. that. Yeah, so it's like it's just such a gross distortion of reality. But that's and that's what, but that's what they've managed to do as sort of this wider war on the left. Um, oh, and, wh- and it's I've really heard... unfortunate. Cause yeah, go it on. just ruins like the language. What'd yeah, you totally.
0: I was going to say I totally forgot the most important part of this Hitler quote where he says, "We chose to call ourselves the National Socialists. We are not internationalists. Our socialism is national." We demand the fulfillment of the just claims of the productive classes by the state on the basis of race and solidarity. To us, state and race are one. So not, as, not only is he saying, you know, we only want to give rights and power to the productive classes, which means the wealthy Aryan Germans, but he's also saying we're not internationalists. That's the complete antithesis of what socialism is. Socialism means no borders, no, you know, to get to a point where everything dissolves and everyone's equal. So it's just insane. Um, but yeah, the cultural Marxism thing and the Obama being a Marxist Muslim, it, it, it is so hyperbolic and insane and really distorts these very basic terms and, and fundamental understanding of the way the world works, to be honest. Because in order to understand how capitalism functions, it it, it is the precursor to why imperialism exists. Like imperialism is the consequence of having a capitalist empire where you have to keep continuing to gobble up resources and to continue the flow of capital across borders and stuff like that so i would just encourage everyone to just like do a refresher um on the basic terminology i know it is confusing and it is hard because it's used and weaponized by all these people um but don't be afraid of it you know don't be afraid to call yourself a socialist it's not scary it's it's um i'm i'm pretty much more socialist minded than i ever have been Um, it's not a scary thing. It doesn't mean that you're oppressive fascist. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's, it's just interesting to hear that, that interview with Hitler and kind of, he just debunks that all
1: himself. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's just so many, uh, I mean, that's what the, a lot of the right wing media does is they rewrite history to make it seem like the left embodies Nazism, Stalinism, you know, it's like they just do it, but it's like so crazy hyperbolic that I I really only think stupid people mostly believe it. I think there's probably a lot of people on the right wing who aren't stupid enough to believe that. Unfortunately, though, a lot of them are. And, a, and another thing I wanted to talk about is this, I saw Mike post something, I don't even remember what it was, but I saw someone from the alt-right saying, like the people who fought um the communists, you know, under Nazi Germany, uh, like were the brown shirts and they were actually like, The communists were actually really dangerous and they needed to be stopped. And this guy like went on for like 20 comments responding to Mike about like how him and the alt-right are going to embrace the term brown shirt um, because that was the force under Nazi Germany that like fought against these communists, which Hitler and the German chancellor and the German government largely exaggerated as a scapegoat which was their way of waging a war on the left in Nazi Germany. But the, but there's a warning here to all these people who might want to be Trump's brown shirts now. Um, And I'll just read a little bit of history about what happened because um, it's a wake up call to all of them. And I think all the people on the left too, Um, that so at first Hitler didn't have direct control of the military. Um, In 1933, uh, he mostly relied on a paramilitary force that was autonomous called the SA also known as the brown shirts so under Hitler there was the German army and there were the SA there were the brown shirts and they were a paramilitary mostly I mean quasi official they weren't official but they were encouraged and egged on by uh, the German government and I'm, I'm going to quote from Wikipedia right here During the 20s and 30s, the SA functioned as a private militia used by Hitler to intimidate rivals and disrupt the meetings of competing political parties, especially those of Social Democrats and the Communists, also known as the Brown Shirts or Stormtroopers. The SA became notorious for their street battles with Communists. The violent confrontations between the two contributed in the destabilization of Germany's interwar experiment with democracy, the Weimar Republic. In June of 1932, one of the worst months of political violence, there were more than 400 street battles resulting in 83 deaths, uh, mostly of of leftists. Um, And then it goes on to say, on July 6, 1933, at a gathering of high-ranking Nazi officials, Hitler declared the success of the National Socialist or Nazi brown shirt revolution. So this again goes back to what you were saying. He was trying to go after and destroy actual leftists, social democrats and communists, but he referred to... The Brown Shirt Revolution as a National Socialist Revolution, so he's not using the term socialist like the way these people are interpreting it again, but so the Brown shirts became so powerful and confident that they actually started um, openly threatening the official German Army and government. They sort of it was be, they became uncontrollable. So create let's let's think about a parallel to what's happening now. What if Trump and Bannon are encouraging? you know, sort of these loyal people who were very well armed in this country to sort of kind of be a quasi brown shirt force for them. But eventually, if you go from the historical, you know, parallel of Adolf Hitler, um, the brown shirts eventually had to be quashed by Hitler because he lost, it wasn't that necessarily he lost control of them. It was that they got too powerful in Germany. So, for the people who are like carrying water for Trump hard enough where they're saying they're going to die for Trump, they're going to take off up arms for Trump, they're going to kill leftists for Trump, you might want to look back to Nazi Germany and realize that even if you do that, Trump will probably have to destroy you at a certain point, because or the government will. The U.S. government in, controlled by Trump is not going to allow paramilitary anti-leftist forces to rise to power enough for they have the power... To threaten the government. That's not going to happen. So I do think this is an interesting dilemma where um so Wikipedia goes on to say um there was so the night of the long knives after Hitler turned against the SA or the brownshirts and decided to fully consolidate power by ordering a hit on one of his biggest former allies that one of the heads of the SA Ernst Röhm so the the brownshirts helped him rise to power but they had become now so powerful that he had to destroy their power. And the night of the long knives was basically a way to shore up all of Hitler's power by taking out all these brown shirt leaders who had actually previously helped Hitler rise to power um, and a massive killing spree, actually. And he directly assassinated several of his former allies at the same time as killing a bunch of like brown shirt paramilitary, basically soldiers in the streets. I mean, I think that's an important history to realize that even if you're a total loyalist, total diehard for Trump, you want to kill leftists for Trump, um, you're still not going to win because that's real fascism. In Hitler's Germany, is he even killed the people who helped him rise to power because that's how much power he needed? I mean, it just it's it, it makes sense, but I don't think most people realize how that works. Yeah, I think a lot of these people
0: um, want to hitch their wagons to power and so all these alt-right people like paul joseph watson he's just like jizzing his pants at the thought that like he could like go to the white house and stuff and that's really what this is about they don't realize the actual consequences of supporting a fascist demagogue and how ugly that can really get and turn against them extremely quickly so they're all just they see um stars in their eyes and they think that they could get more famous and powerful and it's just all narcissism all around you know but they don't really understand the consequences
1: of what's happening and i think i mean in terms of trump's fascism like directly coming from his white house i think it's it's less clear what his actual you know fascist actions or or totalitarian actions will be we're already seeing hints of it but i think it's more clear to me i don't know if it is to you that his followers are actually more openly clear and it's more easily identifiable like that's the danger of like this fascist mentality is the people who support him this adamantly um you know could actually cause some shit to happen in this country that could be very dangerous so i i you know it i guess it took me until he got in office to fully wake up to that and now that i see it i'm i'm genuinely worried um, oh yeah and it's that that so that's prevalent. where
0: it's so prevalent on social media yeah it's crazy like like people who even have the the avvies of like hitler and shit and say like proud fascist you know i think you posted one of those mike posted something yeah. about you know the bowling green massacre that kellyanne conway made up to try to justify the muslim ban well there was a, a massacre of five communists and i don't know some something that sounded like bowling green and Mike tweeted about it and like every comment was just people being like, they should have killed more in order to kill someone. You need to be like a human, like the most creepy things that were said about like just communists. And I was like, whoa, like that is really, really, really scary. Like I think that's where I saw that guy. Genocidal comments against leftists. Bizarre.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to remember a lot of these like more fascist people in this country which there are surprisingly a lot of we're seeing more and more of them every day are they hate minorities just as much as they hate leftists and that's important to remember and I, is like they mm-hmm. they want to kill leftists they want to murder them and i think like it, the, it, the perfect explanation is israel um
0: this is you know israel is now like at the peak of where we're going but the whole ethnic cleansing of arabs and and palestinians is also comparable to their hatred of leftists where now you you can barely even find leftists in Israel that's why there's no hope for change within Israel because the left is non-existent they've either fled or they're afraid because it's such a fascistic state right now that they have targeted leftists even more than arabs because they know that leftists are the only barrier to a complete annihilation of Palestine So whoever's remotely trying to stop them and their genocidal ideology—that's the biggest enemy. And there's a saying in Israel that leftists are AIDS and Arabs are the common cold. That you can't get rid of the common cold unless you get rid of AIDS. And so they—they know, and they even Dan has it on a video. He's been in rallies, twenty thousand people strong, chanting "Death to leftists! Death to the videographers!" That's and they target the videographers yep. like
1: people who just yep. <laughs> that's, they that's target Salem,
0: like one of the only human rights organizations in Israel. So what, why I'm bringing this up is because that's it, it, it makes you realize why their hatred of leftists is so strong because they and that's the whole social justice warriors. Oh, you can't you know, it's a victimhood of this white male mentality like you're preventing us from like really taking a hard line on Muslims, the leftists. So I don't know if it's mm-hmm. the same exact thing. Um, I know that Israel's a lot farther gone than America is. I know that there's a shitload of people who are not racist and not xenophobic who live here, but it is scary being in Israel and seeing them unfurl giant banners of Donald Trump um, at soccer games and stuff like that, cheering him on like he's a god. And there's a good reason for mm-hmm. that because they share a lot of the same ideology.
1: Yeah, and and. In Israel, it's more understandable because like the population is largely Jewish, and but over here, we're just a bunch of white, you know, like white people believe these things who are like not they don't have like any real cultural heritage, so it's like it's it's almost like based on like less, um, you know, there's like less of a of a core belief system to it. It's just it is mostly primarily based on they're being victimized. You know, which is so weird. It's just such a warped, sad way to see the world that you're the victim, yet, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I, it blows my mind. But, I mean, that's that. that's unfortunately the way a lot of these people think. And that's why they scapegoat illegal immigrants and people on the welfare system and stuff. You know, they're taking my wages and they're stealing my money. You know, it's like, well, you're stealing your money too. Who do you think pays for roads and you know, the police. I don't know. It's just, it's just such a weird form of scapegoating that I still yeah. don't understand. Well, it's, but. The
0: whole, it's the tale as old as time. Um, What's sad is that people still fall for it and the majority of people still fall for it. And I don't... I just... Yeah, I guess I am a little bit surprised at
1: how openly bigoted and how how fast that really turned. And there was a lot of people, I think, who, who voted for Trump because of a Rorschach politics. They heard certain things they like and ignored the other things. I think we should still... I mean, I, and just speaking for me personally, I will still try to reach people like that because I don't think that they got dog whistled by like Trump's racism and stuff. I think they got dog whistled by Trump's, you know, crumb trail he left about how he's supposedly anti-war and stuff like that, or who didn't want Hillary because they were worried about her ramping up, um, you know, potential confrontation with Russia. So there are people who held on to these little things to vote for Trump over and i think that those are still people who are very reachable of because of course yeah all we have to do is show them that trump has promised and already signed an executive order to rebuild the military a core uh, flank of neoconservative ideology um and when you when you build up your military you don't just let it sit there and not use it it creates an ex- excuses to go to war it's it's like a gold rush it's like situation like a self fulfilling
0: prophecy just like james riseen exactly. talked about yeah
1: it's just what eisenhower warned about i mean the military industrial complex creates war by its very nature by the amount of money made um the amount of weapons sold you don't even need there's i mean that's how wars start these days there's such a push for that that it's just amazing to me that um that if you're not if you're still seeing trump as anti-war you need to know a few things and i'm just going to go over a few of them now because this You know, Trump said, you know, we, we got a lot of killers in this country. When, when a Bill O'Reilly told them that Putin's a killer, why does he respect him? And Trump's response was, we got a lot of killers that sort of like, you know, made all these anti-war people again, be like, well, Trump's right. You know, he's telling it like it is. He's telling the truth. But what did he actually say? Was he just using like a linguistic kill shot like Scott Adams was talking about to just shut down Bill O'Reilly's like line of questioning? Or was he actually saying something with anything behind it? I really think it's just, he was just doing it to like change the subject. I honestly do not think he even really knew what he meant when he said that. Like, was he talking about the Iraq war, the civilians we killed? Was he talking about the, you know... Uh, democratically elected leaders that we assassinated in South America? What does he actually mean?
0: I don't think that Trump meant anything substantial or relevant in terms of the U.S. empire. I think it's exactly what you think, which is that he was just trying to deflect (laughs) Bill O'Reilly in a really dumb juvenile way by just being like, "Well, we got killers too. So yeah, Yeah. I think all this like hot takes and I just avoided all that completely because I was like, I ain't going to give a hot take like saying like, yeah, like... Trump totally dude. We do got a lot of killers here. It's like, no, dude, it's just another dumbass thing that a celebrity game show host said.
1: Yeah. He and he's and he literally he just he can't lose an argument or or actually have like a reasonable nuanced discussion about things, so he just like throws this back at Bill O'Reilly to just like shut down the discussion. I mean, and Bill O'Reilly is such a pussy. You know, that he just go... Now, I mean, he's just a water carrier for Trump. He's not going to, like, confront him. But then Charles Crowdhammer, one of the most, like, famous neocon scholars, went on Bill O'Reilly the next day and he just, like, bludgeoned O'Reilly saying, like, how could you let him say this? Like, what what did he actually mean? Why didn't you ask him what he meant? And Bill O'Reilly was... You could tell he was very, like, he didn't know what to say to Crowdhammer, because he's just a Trump loyalist at this point. But it actually made Krautheimer look really like good in comparison because he was just like, what did, it was just like funny to see that Bill O'Reilly trying to defend Trump in this instance because he, he didn't even really know what he meant. Um, so I thought that was interesting how, you know, that, that hit that sort of anti-war contingent again. They're like, yeah, he's telling it like it is. And, and, and he's taking, the, you know, he's the naked, he's, he's making the real face of America naked again. Like this is the real face of America and I mean, I guess there is some truth to that a little bit in the sense that he's still saying things like, we're going to go take their oil. Um, he said to all throughout the campaign, we're going to kill the terrorist families. He already has, in my mind, specifically targeted members of alleged terrorist families and murdered them in some of these raids. Um, and then also saying that, uh, you know, uh, we're going to put Iran on notice. He's like taking out the big stick approach again that george w bush used but doing it in a more sloppy sort of swaggering sort of way that just seems like more uh, openly aggressive like that is true and
0: the ambassador yeah also said that they're not going to lift the sanctions on russia in order or until russia gives crimea back after the referendum after all of this after the hopeful normalized relations with russia that was totally thrown out the window it was like it was like Trump has hold, held his promises on every single horrible thing, but the one silver lining was already squashed. <laughs> the Russia yeah,
1: thing. <laughs> which, and and hardly anybody talked about it. All of his supporters just didn't mention it. And uh, they, this is one of those things where they just ignore it. You know, they just like, they just let, let it sort of go in one ear and out the other, and they can't defend it. They cannot mount a defense against it. Um, so... And what was interesting to me is I do think that that signaled to a lot of neoconservatives who were really afraid of Trump, that maybe this is not going to be so bad for them anymore. Maybe they're actually going to get some or a lot of the things that they've been wanting um, that maybe Hillary wasn't even willing to do. And I watched a few, um, I saw a few papers on some neoconservative think tanks and watched a really fascinating talk um, from AEI, American Enterprise Institute. They had Fred Kagan hosting a, a, a Tom Cotton discussion and and speech. And Tom Cotton is basically a Bill Crystal's puppet. Bill Kristol bought his way into office um, through the Emergency Committee for Israel, Super PAC, um, as something like two to three million dollars. Um, totally bought off, uh, puppeted, you know, neoconservative um, senator. But the discussion was really interesting because they were spinning all these things that are somewhat accurate that people are saying about Trump, that he's more in the, you know, Jacksonian mold, that he's openly, nakedly aggressive, that the Jacksonian spirit is take no prisoners, strike by surprise, you know, annihilate the enemy, and then, and then do not like retreat until the enemy is like fully eradicated, like no trace left, like... It's the Jacksonian, like like Fred Kagan, you know, kept calling it the Jacksonian spirit. And then they were sort of arguing about how, you know, in actuality, this is an American tradition. It's kind of like a Robert Kagan flavor. Like this is an American tradition. We should embrace it. And yeah, Europe's not going to like it, but this is a part of our sort of DNA as America. And Trump is expressing that. And we are going to have a confrontation with China at a certain point and it's good that Trump is uh, putting Iran on notice because the deal was horrible and we need to reverse the deal. And uh, you know, we do need to like to shake the big stick at China and Iran is basically what they were saying in this talk. And they were encouraging that those aspects of Trump's foreign policy. And I don't think they would have done that if he was still fully in detente mode with Russia. I don't think they would have gone there already. And we're already seeing them opening, opening up to Trump. And even Gary Schmidt was like, this isn't, um, I I forgot what the title of his article was, but Gary Schmidt's one of the founders of Project for the New American Century. And he was even saying that a lot of this is actually really good. Um, the way Trump is, is acting, posturing this way. This is sort of a return of Americana, like Reagan-esque mentality. Um, and he was trying to spin it positively. and I was just like, wow, this is this is all turned very quickly. Oh, and then Elliot Abrams, Iran contra criminal, responsible for over a hundred thousand deaths of uh, people in South America from death squads that he was helping run under Reagan is now being considered for De- Deputy Secretary of State under Rex Tillerson, someone completely unexperienced in governing, which will basically mean Elliot Abrams is really in charge of the secretary of of the State Department. Um, and And what's even funnier is it's like all these anti-war critics who are still holding on to some hope for Trump, they're like, don't bring in Elliot Abrams, Trump, don't do it like don't we can't let you do this. But the other choice, the only other choice he's considering, is Paula Dobriansky, who's a PNAC member and signatory. So it's like, so both choices are, are classic, like in the, the most specific mold possible, neoconservatives running the State Department. We didn't even have a neoconservative running the State Department under Obama. I mean, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is we didn't have, you know, the person in charge of it was more of like a realist, um, you know, John Kerry and stuff. Hillary Clinton was was kind of in the middle. You know, she was definitely more neoconservative. But um, this is really, really dangerous and bad, uh, what, what's about to happen. Um, and that's I, that should be a wake-up call to anybody who thinks that Trump is anti-war, who doesn't think he wants a nation build. Um, it's completely BS. I mean, let's just say in theory he doesn't want a nation build, you know, the specific aspect of neoconservatism, which is imposing our values on other sovereign nations. Let's just say he doesn't want to do that. Well, guess what? Flynn wants to wage holy war against Islam. Uh, Bannon wants to wage holy war against Islam. I mean, that's not, not a literal quote of theirs, but they talk in this language that is way more sort of, holy war crusader language that george w bush never used and his nobody's administration yeah and they're bringing that back yeah bannon Um, said we're
0: going to war um with a major war with the middle east again clearly and he also said we're going to war in the south china sea in five to ten years that's a fact um and and he's called both of them expansionist he keeps calling china expansionist china what does that mean like by via capitalism well then stop buying fucking chinese products I guess that's their whole thing, right? The nationalist. I'm an economic nationalist. Oh, he, I don't does he want Asian- actually use
1: that phrase? Dude,
0: yeah. He says, I'm not a white nationalist. Wow. I'm an economic nationalist. Yeah, dude. Well, well, but he, Well, no,
1: the expansionist characterization oh, of China oh, yeah, is interesting. yeah, yeah, yeah. He says expansionist that, that's China. That's straight neoconservatism yep. language. He said,
0: he said China is expansionist and Islam is expansionist. And he calls them the war on two fronts.
1: Yeah, so, and, and what's interesting is you're going to see Breitbart... Adopting more and more neoconservative values on their website. So normally, websites like Washington Free Beacon and some of these other conservative websites would be pushing more of the neoconservative um, foreign policy stuff. But now Breitbart is already escalate, you know, trying to escalate the confrontations with Iran and defending this big stick approach more. Um, so that's going to be that's an interesting development to watch. You know, Bannon. I, I know I don't know what his you know, if he's like a, ever butt heads with any actual neoconservatives, but there is some bridge, there is a bridge being built right now between the two worlds. That is very, very dangerous. I think it's potentially way more dangerous than the George W. Bush administration oh, was. Of course. Um, because you have ethno nationalism, people who aren't even putting this face on of like liberty, you know, liberal interventionism, humanitarianism. And it, it is just naked. Like, like Flynn, straight up, Islam is a cancer, and it needs to be removed like a cancer. I mean that's fucking nuts that he actually said that, trying not to get overwhelmed and paralyzed by how awful things seem right now. they are awful, but there is a a positive um, other side to this where people on the left and people who uh you know are very unhappy with what's going on right now are growing exponentially. Um, by the day, I mean, you know, and, and the right wing and, and sort of the more conspiracy right wing will try to say that it's all Soros. They're not going to be. I mean, that the talking point, you know, may be effective to certain people now, but it's once it's like mass marches, you know, happening, blocking roads everywhere, um, you know, blocking entrances to the places. I mean, uh, in mass nationwide, um, it's going to be fucking on. And if you brown shirts want to come out and uh you know try to start some shit i mean good luck i mean i that's what's so interesting to me about this is even if the brown shirts wanna for trump wanna try to like cause chaos and violence you can't stop a 10,000 crowd march you know um and the right wing you know protest contingent movement the pro trump protesters they will be absolutely fucking dwarfed by the energy uh, that's about to explode in their fucking faces. And I think that that's, that's what we need to be like excited about is there is a fire right now happening. um, That's really energizing a lot of people. And we're going to see activist actions from the left in in ways that we have never seen, at least not, not in my lifetime. So I'm excited about that. And I think that's a very positive sign. I, I would dissuade people away from trusting any democrat who's in office right now who is acting like they're going to stand up as a bulwark for this i mean let like support if they're actually going to stand up against the bulwark to this you know push them to do that put pressure on them to do that but do not for a second blindly follow these people i already see people making the mistake of getting really excited about elizabeth warren again cory booker again I think these people simply cannot be trusted. They will turn on a dime to help prop up the democratic establishment that has gotten us into this fucking mess in the first place. And I really think that we need to, it's the power of the people. It's, it is, it needs to be more populism. And even if you support some of these Democrats, you still, even if you support Elizabeth Warren, you still need to put pressure on her every day, every day, especially if you support her. So it's like, it should not be like, don't you know, Elizabeth Warren's trying to fight him, like, don't criticize her. No, criticize her every day and put pressure on her every day so she'll fight even harder. Because, I mean, she, so it's like, but at the same time, like, these people will try to co opt our energy and use it to their advantage, and that's. That is a, a danger here. And,
0: and the media, like, too, I wanted to say also the media painting, like you were saying before, that they only focus on the anarchists and black bloc and like the, the quote unquote violent tactics of breaking windows and stuff. It's it's too a it's a there's a very good reason that they're doing that, because the media is part of the establishment and they don't want to paint people in a positive light that actually are a legitimate threat to their sitting power so it's like they'll cover like the women's march in a favorable way but when it comes to socialists on the ground like mike's um answer coalition and stuff those are the enemies as well look at nancy pelosi you have to look no further than her reaction that's why they shut down bernie sanders because that is the biggest threat to their wealth and power is undermining the system and so you know let's not let the media and don't let the media appeal to your emotions and be like yeah these people are fucked up they're going too far look the media has a vested interest in this entire thing as well they want to get back in power they want to leverage power to their advantage
1: yeah and and there's the other danger here of like these generic Democrat groups or like these democratic money groups taking more far left issues and running with them to try to you know to escalate things for their own cause that we really can't do anything about that. You know, a lot of these democratic organizations did not give a shit about Muslims while Obama was bombing, you know, I think seven different countries in the middle East. And now they're, you know, they're acting like they care again. And I just think, you know, it doesn't, ultimately it doesn't matter as long as you know, where you stand and what you believe, just do not let, um, these people speak for us. I mean, already I saw media matters, um, went through and and looked at some of my Alex Jones criticism and like posted on an article. So they're like, so even people like Media Matters, who's run by like a fucking Clinton, you know, soldier, David Brock, they're looking at people like, you know, maybe me or Abby or different people on the far left for ideas of how to fight Trump. And there's really nothing we could do to stop that, but we should not be allies with those people at all. But they are propping up parts of the establishment that are going to hinder us from properly fighting Trump. So I I just discourage being bedfellows with those kinds of people, um, if you can help it and just maintain your independence. But at the same time, like I'm saying, they're, they're going to be taking things more from the real left to use as weapons. And there's really nothing we could do to stop that. So yeah, we just have to still own those and, and hold down the fort that those are, you know, you guys didn't care about these issues. Um, and we're the ones who are really fighting for them. I mean, that's, and that's the way it's always been. So
0: yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, we're, we're coming out with this Bannon expose. It's going to be a, it's going to be a doozy. Um, this guy is a nutbag and he's running the entire country. So he wants civil war. Like I said, he wants to completely ban all immigration and he hates Asians included, So this is, it's not just about security here. This is about something very different. And it's extremely obvious when you just look at who these ideologues are and what they've said. So, um, like I said, just give us feedback and, um, thank you so much for listening and keep your head up. There's so much awesome things going on and so many positive things coming out of this negativity and the Phoenix will rise. I'm I am convinced that the pendulum will swing in a very big way very soon.
1: Um, and I wanted to just plug um, this really cool website I saw last night um, that I think media roots listeners would really enjoy watching. And also people who saw a very heavy agenda. Uh, there's a website put up a couple days ago called DunaldJTrump.com. It's spelled just like Donald J Trump.com, except two O's instead of one in, um, in meaning Dunald, not Donald. Um, and it's basically a mini documentary about Trump um, that spans throughout his entire career from like the early eighties to like really, really recent stuff. Um, And I thought it was brilliantly done. It's all raw footage uh, set to a score and it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of in a similar mold to a very heavy agenda. It's a similar kind of narrative, you know, structure, but all, all clips and what's also cool about this website is, it actually plays in a random order. It's not cut together like a movie. It's a it's actually a random collage, but it's done so well you actually feel like you're watching a movie until it repeats the clips until you start seeing the whole cycle go through. Um, but everybody check out this website. It's it, it just really puts everything into focus. Um, I it's where I saw the Flynn talking about Islam is cancer. There's some creepy Bannon clips in it. Um, it's a great, it's a great website. Um, and please donate to us on Patreon, uh, Media Roots Radio. We could really use your support and, um, check out the Empire Files and Media Roots website and, uh, follow me and Abby on Twitter at Abby Martin and at Florescent Gray. Peace.